0: You're
1: listening to the Nutmeg Arena by the Nutmeg Assist. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the TNA podcast brought to you by the Nutmeg Assist. Myself, Ritwik, the host for the show. And today, again, I'm joined by my co-host, Chris, and we'll be talking about Marcelo Lippi's career. This podcast is a special one. It's kind of a special one where we'll be talking about, the. uh, I mean, we'll be discussing Lippi's career, which was touched by Chris's recent article on our website on Marcelo Lippi's career with Juventus, Inter, and the Italian national team. So, welcome to the podcast,
0: Chris, once again. Pleasure's mine, pleasure's mine, great to be here, as always.
1: Yeah, (laughs) and uh, (laughs) I I read your Lippi article and lippe is one of the greatest football managers ever and the achievements that he had in his career the way he set up his teams which was quite magnificent so the article was a very in-depth piece a very detailed one explaining different tactical approaches of Lippi, different stages of his career as well so it really was a good read the multi-part article
0: yeah, congratulations very much. on that
1: to the listeners listening to the podcast we'll be covering this different sides or the different areas or the different stages of Lippi's career and Lippi probably is one of the most decorated managers or one of the best managers ever with 19 trophies in 37 years, he has, you no know, like a long, long record of, you know, winning and managing across Italy. And he, he he's now probably in China as well. So he has a good history. I'll start with you, Chris, starting with probably his spell at UV. I mean, uh, initially he started with Napoli. And with Napoli, yeah, yeah he, he had a sixth place achievement. So... Could you actually give us some insight on how his Napoli spell went?
0: I think I mean before that he spent a lot of, a lot of time in in the lower leagues in Italy, just doing odd, very short term spells at clubs, so all around the lot, say Serie B, Serie C, etc. Before I mean Napoli was as not as big chance, but it was his first top flight opportunity, and it went not it went the Napoli that it went Maradona's Napoli. Uh, do you know what I mean? It were not a Napoli that uh, won two Serie A titles yeah. uh, at the back end of the 1980s. This was a debt-ridden Napoli. Uh, I think I touched yeah. it on in the article itself. The players, in, in that one season that uh, he was with Napoli, the players, they hadn't been paid for six months. I mean, they really were, they would really, this was sort of like the start of their downfall, Napoli. And it was only really until sort of like the last sort of five to 10 years that they started to recover from that. But yeah, so he finished sixth place with a team, really. Really, that was up to its eyeballs and death whose plays hadn't been played, and he finished 6th and finishing sixth with a team in Serie A in the 1990s, especially the mid 90s, is a very, very credible achievement. Yeah, and that's when that's when Juventus came calling. And Juventus, yeah. Juventus, came, yeah, Juventus came calling at a time. At a time, like I said, he, he took over from Giovanni Trapattoni, and it wasn't like Giovanni Trapattoni was being unsuccessful, I mean, he won, he won the Coppa Italia, he won the he won the UEFA Cup. But in, compared to the first Belliard in charge of the club, the, he just couldn't win the he just couldn't win the league, and it was at a time where Fabio Capello had took over from Arrigo Sacchi as AC yeah. Milan manager, and they really they 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 were completely dominant for those years, and uh, yeah, Juventus needed to do something. It, well, it, it's actually it's actually a funny story, really, because not to go off subject too much, what happened was. Juventus actually wanted a Saki initially at the beginning of the 90s. It got to the point where at, at Milan, Arrigo Saki had, had sort of like he was quite an intense bloke. He was quite forceful in his in his tactics and his ways uh, that he was putting onto the players. And the story goes that Marco Van Basten actually went to AC Milan's chairman, Silvio Berlusconi, and said, either ah, he got uh, Saki goes, or right, I go. We can't with the players can't put up with him anymore." Now it was actually Juventus who were planning on taking Saki to them. However, Bilasconi weren't prepared to do that, but he was stuck in a bit, stuck in between a rock and a hard place, really, when you start players saying that he will go. So it was actually Silvio Bilasconi that got a Regal Sacchi, the Italy job, instead of the Juventus, on the fear that he would go to Juventus. So just a little tale there that, I mean, if if circumstances could have been different, then Marcelo, who may never had the Juventus job in the first place, further down the line. But who knows? history's full of little tweaks like that. I suppose he took the event's job. I mean, for me, really, it was sort of the whole nineties. The, the the coverage that the United Kingdom had of Italian football in the nineties was just great. You had it on a Saturday morning. You had like an hour-long special. You had a live game on the Sunday afternoon, and so we had non-stop coverage. And it was round about this time that I started following, or well, probably just before before Lippi's takeover. That I started following Italian football a lot more attentively, and then so I can actually remember this team, and that's why that's why his his first spelling, Juventus sticks out in my mind. Whenever someone mentions a great team or a great manager, for some reason Marcelo Lippi and and that Juventus team or that period as Juventus manager just pops into my mind. So that's what really inspired the article
1: yeah and like, like you mentioned when actually i mean an interesting thing is when actually lippy took over you went this, i wasn't even born so <laughs> so so the thing he did probably was before my birth and something interesting that you touched upon is the coverage but uh in india or probably in asia i guess i like i'm not really aware of what uh how the coverage was in probably other countries other asian countries especially countries like yeah. malaysia where the football i mean football worshipped a lot but in india italian football wasn't covered as much and even probably the english premier league which is which which kind of has a huge huge fan base probably the first uh European League to have a huge fan base. So that probably came in the latter part of the 90s as well. So Italian football probably had very, very less coverage. Like you touched upon there, Juventus hadn't won a Scudetto since 1986. And it was quite long for them. So probably that was the reason why they wanted to switch from Trapattoni. And yeah. It, the, the, and you mentioned I, I guess you mentioned in your article as well it was uh the the chairman Chiusano's call as well yeah. to you know kind of bring in Lippi and it was a master stroke. It turned into a master stroke because he won this codetto and also did a cup double in his first season with the yeah. old lady. So that's that's pretty amazing for you know, that's pretty amazing to do because a club who's not won the league who's not won the Scudetto for 8 years coming on, coming into the team, managing them and winning the, sea, the league in his first season, that is a very dominant way to introduce yourself, more when more trophies followed then I guess he he, he won probably in his first spell with Juventus, he won two more I mean, Scudettos, which is the league, a Coppa Italia yeah two to super copa and i guess he won the champions league all important champions league as well won intercontinental cup which is probably amazing amazing achievement in that is in addition to a uefa super cup as well yeah. he, he didn't he didn't just win i guess the one champions league he was probably uh, he took juventus to another final i guess uh, so that, that that's what i remember probably i mean he he, he exhibited different you know uh, he, he he probably exhibited tactical flexibility initially in his first spell with Juventus and he knew how to set his team up. He knew how to adjust based on the opponents. Could you probably touch some light on the way he tactically managed that Juventus side against the top teams, especially in the Champions League and, you know, probably, you know, taking over uh, the, the league probably by storm?
0: I mean, it's, it's worth pointing out as well. He, he come over, I mean, that first double, so in his first season, he wins the double. But, I mean, it, it's worth pointing out the team that AC Milan had. I mean, this was, a, a, this was an AC Milan team. I mean, it, Italian teams were completely dominant throughout the 90s anyway, but this AC Milan team had gone the whole season without going, getting beat. Uh, they'd gone 58 games in total. Uh, they, I think, I don't want to give too much away because uh, something might pop up in one of my next articles. But they, they'd won consecutive league titles, and they'd and they'd reached consecutive Champions League finals as well. So it it not like it went like he was coming up against sort of like just an average team who just happened to be they were, they were coming up against a completely dominant AC Milan team. So to go and win the fit, go to go and win the double in his first season was an extraordinary achievement, really. And and yeah, he's, I mean most Italians, most Italian managers who go through their coaching system uh, and go through the Cavacianno uh, coaching base, they're all they're all adaptable tactically. They're, they're all very well, they're all tactically astute. You do get the impression with Italian managers, no matter what generation it is, the but there was something a little bit different about Lippi. He had, he had both sides and it's something I feel that maybe is lacking now in certain managers around the world that you get these tactical, flexible managers who are great tactically, but they lack something else on a personal level. Or you've got these great man managers you can motivate a team, but then when it comes down to the right of crunch, they don't know how to switch a formation or change the system to actually see it through and make the team successful. I think Lippi had both, and I just remember—I remember the Juventus team. I remember them predominantly watching it, watching them against Manchester United. They always seem to get Manchester United in Champions League. His main tactical approach—it could line up in a say in a traditional Italian at that time four-three. Four three one two, or he could. He, he was he was a big believer in being able to switch the tactics within games, and he could and he, and, and he would pick players deliberately so that he could go to a 3-4-1-2 or even a four uh, a four four two diamond at times as well, uh, at different periods. Throughout that fifth reign in Juventus, so yeah, he was incredibly flexible tactically. He was incredibly astute tactically as well. But what what made him and be able to do that was the players that he had an eye for, the players that he, he he enjoyed having in the squad. And I think there was there was a famous quote that he made, and I've quoted it in the article itself. Is that not necessarily all the best players make the best team? Uh, and again, we I mean, we, so if so for so. Throughout that spell, I mean, obviously, hopefully we touch on it in a minute. But obviously, he he, he had the likes of Del Piero, Zidane, uh, Roberto Baggio. Obviously, these are all at different stages, by the way. Edgar Davids, Antonio Conte, Didier Deschamps. He had players of that sort of class, but he offset them against with the likes of Angelo Delivio, Alessio Takanadi, Torricelli, Pesotto, Ciro Ferrara who he took with him from Napoli and even the likes of Ravinelli and Viali uh, could, be, could be quoted in that first stage uh, and then he'd have uh, other players like Fonseca and he would all, they would all come in at different stages and allow, uh, allow the team to be flexible in its approach because they were hard-working disciplinarians who could play in a number of positions versatility was the key but he believed he believed in man management and he kept a lot of those players. Um, when I was doing research for the article, those players were known as the soldiers because they would just they would just fight for him, and they were a big part of. Even though it was, uh, even though that the glamorous players will always be the players that get the be remembered for that period that Juventus. It was always it was those players were just as equally as as important to. Um, a Champions League trophy and the and the multiple scudetto, scudetto wins.
1: And he actually left Juventus probably in the 98, 98, 99 season somewhere in the middle. I I, I guess if I'm not wrong. Yeah, and
0: he went. Yeah, within. I mean the yeah the season weren't going too well. They, I think they they reached the peak. They were uh, they were struggling. I think they were in sixth when he actually left, but. It weren't like they dropped to six. I mean, they were they were around that position the majority of the season, and I think at the time it was sort of Italy's worst kept secret that he was going to actually join into Milan in the summer of that uh, after that season, or he was going to leave Juventus anyway at the end of that season. But obviously, they decided to. And the, uh, the spell early, and he left in February, which was quite a surprise at the time. Not necessarily that he left, but that he was going to go and join Inter Milan in the summer. But that, I mean, it just it, it didn't it just didn't add up when you when you when you look at when you look at that time Inter Milan at that time, and you look at the type of manager that Marcello Lippi was. I don't know if the writing was on the wall at the very start, but it, it just didn't add up. It was like they, they were just it just wasn't the right fit Inter Milan were, at a time. And I don't know if you ever researched back, but this was the time when they were buying anyone, anyone I saw Any superstar they could get their hands on, they were buying. Ronaldo yeah. was there, Zamorano was yeah. there, Roberto Baggio was there, um, Winter was there. I mean, it was just an endless list of players that played for Inter Milan. Paul Ince was there at one, one stage. Uh, Robbie Keane ended up there. <laughs> they would—I mean, even though he—I believe he was Marcello Lippi signing, but at that stage it was—it was just very much a club who were chasing it. I mean, he had some success in the UEFA Cup, but they, they couldn't. Moratti ma- 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 was—he—he he want, he wanted the Scudetto back, which is why Lippi was that ma- that main that main target and why they wanted to get him in but then when you look at Marcello, Marcello's, Marcello Lippi's philosophy or his tactical approach and then you look at the players that Inter Milan had that's when I think when you look at it on paper it, it just doesn't add up it just doesn't know why you would want that manager to take over that team or what, what, first of all why, why you think that team could actually be successful as a, or, or cohesive as a unit Yeah,
1: but, and, and his inter and his, and his uh, Tenure at Inter only lasted uh, for, you know, a very short period of time. And I, I guess he yeah. put them to fourth place and he was out of job there as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, he had one full season in charge where he finished fourth. Which again, at that time, Italy Italy was... You had AC Milan, Juventus, Lazio, Roma. I mean, all the big teams were all competing against each other. So to finish fourth uh, out, out of about six... Massive teams. Palmer were there at the time as well. Palmer had a great team. In the 90s. Fiorentino were up there with the likes of Gabriel Battistuta. Um, and I mean, it was it was the most competitive league in world football at that time. So finishing fourth was very credible. Again, it that was that wasn't a bad achievement by any stretch of imagination. But they finished fourth. But it, uh, I believe it was the start of the next season that seeing them. He got knocked out of the, the Champions League qualifier by a Helsingborg Swedish team who they shouldn't have got knocked out by and then they lost the first game of the season. So I believe I believe when I was doing the research, I, I was looking looking at that Inter Milan spell. Uh, there's some quotes that were made by Lippi and by the players as well that it, I just don't think they were getting on. I think he'd lost the dressing room, and that's why. Uh, and that's why um, I've seen done what he'd done throughout the nineties and was sacking another manager.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean that, that that Inter side, like you said, was you know pretty much you know uh, kind of buying everyone, every superstar that that they kind of identified, and it they, they they were literally were trying to you know make it a star-studded team, like you said, trying to win back the Scudetto. So that was probably a last-ditch attempt from from them, but unfortunately it didn't work out. But a year later, Juventus sacked Carlo Ancelotti and yeah. lippi was reappointed as the juventus head coach although this particular spell his second spell with uv did not go you know it wasn't probably as silvery as before and he, he won two league titles again two super copas as well and lost the champions league final Against yeah, looked, like,
0: probably, no, AC Milan. It was sorry.
1: AC yeah, Milan. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yep, yep, yep My mistake, yeah, my yeah. mistake.
0: Yeah, yeah. Carlo Ancelotti's, he, AC, Milan Carlo Ancelotti's
1: well. AC Milan. Yep, that, yeah. that was kind. That was probably the Shevchenko season.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: And uh, I mean, it it was probably not as silvery, like I said, with you know a lot of shiny uh, trophies or a lot of success. But he kind of brought Juventus back. In the race, kind of what you went this back into the frame,
0: but all. Oh yeah, started, absolutely, yeah.
1: Yep, and all this probably you know uh, disappeared with the Calcio poly, which we'll we'll come come on to a, a few moments later. But the as long as the second term is concerned, how did you think uh, Lippy did overall, also including Champions League in the two thousand three Champions League as well.
0: Because he had really good players. Yeah. Well, again, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, it was. It was. An, it was. A, a, it was a team that again was built on the likes of David Trezeguet, Pavel Navad, Lillian Chiram. Again, it was. It was. It really was a, a great Juventus team. Uh, that, I mean, it, it was a shame that didn't win the Champions League. Uh, but normal's areas resumed. I mean, he sat Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, Juventus fans don't like Carlo Ancelotti. He blew an eight, he blew an eight, an eight-point lead uh, in a title race and gifted it to Lazio. And he was known at that time because he finished second with Palmer as well as not being a loser. But he, he was known as a manager that didn't have the winning edge. He couldn't make a team win which is kind of obviously that's why when they met in the Champions League against AC Milan and AC Milan beat them it was probably it was probably one of the biggest moments of Carlo Ancelotti's career getting them over that uh, winning that for, for AC Milan especially given the the way he is remembered by Juventus fans but I always think it's, it's such a it's such a shame that, that Juventus team didn't win that Champions League final uh, just as well though. but it's just a, just going off topic as, as well it's such a shame that they didn't win the multiple Champions Leagues that they reached in the 90s because they were the best team in Europe in the 90s they were incredibly they deserved it against Ajax they deserved it to win it but they should have beat Borussia Dortmund the year, year after and they should have beat Real Madrid which weren't a very good Real Madrid team at that time uh, so they should have been the team really that won that we all talk about being as the first team that won uh, consecutive Champions League not the Zidane's Real Madrid that ironically do play a lot like Lippi's Juventus uh, when they're when, when they're out of possession but just going back to there's a lot there's a lot of uh, moments that I'd not discovered but I didn't realise until when I was researching for the article that link up so yeah, we mentioned the one there with Carlo Ancelotti obviously Juventus sacking Carlo Ancelotti and then Marcelo Lippi bringing them back normal service resuming then winning multiple sc- Scudettos the, him improving the first team with some very, very good players and then unfortunately losing the Champions League to Carlo Ancelotti but in the semi-final um, as well that he actually knocked Real Madrid out and it wasn't any Real Madrid it was the Galaticos it was the Galatico-Real Madrid team Uh, that they knocked out over two legs in the semi-final which actually led to Vicente Del Bosque getting sacked even though they won the league and then uh, so it actually in some ways brought an end to the Galactico Real Madrid team uh, because it never really recovered after that for a number of years it didn't recover Champions League wise until until Carlo Ancelotti started winning it back so yeah there is a lot of little link up moments and then uh, obviously as you know which we touch on later in the article uh, Vicente Del Bosque actually goes on to become the second manager in history to win behind Marcello Lippi the World Cup and the Champions League but yeah so just I just thought I'd I'd throw that in there it was just uh, it made me smile when I was uh, sort of researching the article but that Juventus (laughs) team again when you when you think of teams at that time, and you, maybe it's maybe now, maybe because I'm of that age, sort of older than yourself, and I look back and you think of the players that they had, and then we we talk about the Glaticos and the Real Madrid team and the players that they had of obviously probably high profile, but then you have players at Juventus in the form of Neved, Trezeguet, Del Piero, Lilian charam and you think, Christ, that was some team, really. And it's a pity really we didn't I didn't touch on it more in the article, but yeah. Um, what they'd done was probably just as significant if It just went over a l- a longer period is what that first reign at Juventus was. Yeah,
1: and and like you touched upon Real Madrid there, which I mistakenly, you know, uh, I mean, mentioned the messa win, the 2003 winners Actually, they had signed Zinedine Zidane that 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 summer before, and Juventus had lost yeah. in Zagi in as well. So, yeah. like you said, Madrid was a fully Galactico side, but they kind of, you know, lippy li- li- managed to kind of rattle them and. Like you said, it has taken, what, 11 years before Carlo Ancelotti again won them for Real Madrid, you know. They kind of had that mentality loss, but again, he left Juventus because... Once again, and let me put it this way: he actually re- replaced Giovanni Trapattoni once again, but this time yeah. for the Italian national team. So uh, that yeah. the 2004 Euros did not really go well for Italy; they went out of the group stage, and Trapattoni was sacked. Trapattoni was fired. So, and th- th- they decided to you know take take on Marcelo Lippi in July 2004.
0: And then he I went mean, on, yeah, yeah, yeah gone. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the Italians were kind of un- not; they were unlucky in two thousand and four because they, they, they only went out on goal difference. They actually undefeated in the groups, uh, but they only won one game out of three. Uh, so I mean, you kind of unlucky, but the writing was on the wall really following the two thousand and two World Cup. I mean, you got to remember in 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 the Euro- Euro- European Championships in your Euro- two thousand, and they come run runners up. But they come runners up in a, in a tournament that no, no one expected them to do anything, and they were unlucky not to win that tournament. And you look at the chances that they had at one 0 against France in that competition. They probably should have, they probably should have won the game and won the tournament. Uh, and then, but follow because of that, Dino's off, resigned, and then giovanna Trapattoni took over the national team but there was and then and then his first tournament was 2002 world cup in which they were massively disappointing and massively i, I remember watching the game i remember them watching them f- frequently throughout that world cup they only only just scraped through the group and then for them to get beat th- by south korea again they, they were qu- quite unfortunate in that actual game but not unfortunate to go out at that stage in the competition and then again, that's when, and then you're 2000 come, and I think if if it had been up the other way round, and that might have been Trappett only's first tournament. I mean, the, he might have been given another tournament after that, given the fact that they were under, they, they didn't get beaten, just went out on goal difference. But I think it was more the the manner in which they went out in 2002 that actually got him sack in 2004, because and again, like 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 Lippi was going into at Juventus. Trapattoni was known for only playing one way. He was quite, he was a Catanaccio student. He he played one way, it was defensive. At Juventus the first time around, he was over-reliant. His plan A was Roberto Baggio, his plan B was Roberto Baggio and his plan C was Roberto Baggio. And this Italian team had very, very similar output. He wouldn't change the system and he he, he seemed to go with the same plan over and over again. Again, it was only fitting really that he wanted someone with a bit more tactical variation, someone who could offer something a little bit different when needed, uh, and someone who was a bit more flexible in his approach. So given that, at that time, th- there was only one man for the job, and he was at the right age to do the job as well, if people believe that you need to be of a certain age to manage a national team. He-, he ticked all boxes. He was a winner. He offered the variation. He didn't necessarily go out and pe- pick all the best of 11 players, just on quality he knew how to balance a team and he, he had the flexible approach that is that is needed to win a tournament at international level
1: exactly and uh, I mean before the World Cup actually started the 2006 World Cup actually started they were kind of really dominant and amazing in some friendly games I guess they, they had a huge win over Germany which was kind of yeah. talked about a lot and I, I think that did probably you know Raise the expectations among the, uh, the the Italians, but just before the World Cup, the Calcio Poli scandal broke out, and yeah, and and, and that was because Lippi, Lippi was probably uh, you know uh, linked with that because Juventus it it, it was all yeah. surrounding Juventus mainly, and yeah. that probably you know one would probably expect that that uh, that it would hurt Lippi mentally, but he went on. With that Italy side, a team that had the likes of Gianluigi Buffon, Fabio Cannavaro, who won the Ballon d'Or the same year, they had Francesco Totti, they had Luca Toni, Gattuso, De Rossi, Zambrotta, and Grosso. You know, in, in, in as the fullbacks, they had Moro Cameronese, who's who's kind of a hard worker. He's not a I I don't think he's like a technically you know very uh a very technical player, but he does the job that he that the manager asked him to and that that's 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 Camarone easy for you and he had Perone yeah. and people like that and this was a team that conceded just two goals in the entire tournament and both the goals yeah. that they conceded weren't even from open play and I, I do remember yeah. one of the goal which was in the final they conceded to France the Zinedine Zidane penalty I guess they, they, they didn't concede a single goal from open play which is fantastic and that that really speaks a lot about how lippi organized his defense and he 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 even mentioned that the world cup win was probably his his most satisfying moment as a coach so what yeah, what probably do you think yeah. about what is your whole take on the world cup win because that was probably the first world cup that i i, I watched probably i watched uh, the first world cup i watched consciously i would say and yeah. I, I I really enjoyed it. I, I like I don't support a certain national team uh, because India never qualifies for the World Cup. So I, I just randomly pick a team which I feel you know uh, ca- kind of gives me a hope before every World Cup. But that's that year I was rooting for Portugal, but Portugal went into the semi-finals and got knocked out. So. <laughs> yeah. I I I was kind of rooting for Italy in the final, not 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 France. Yeah. I, I I don't know. It, it it was kind of you know a personal thing why I wanted Italy to win, but they finally yeah. won it and and it was really indeed a special win. So what what is you now? I mean, what's the whole take on how Lippi managed uh, the Italian national team? You know despite the Calcio Poli you know being in his head.
0: Yeah, I mean i mean that that rock football really not just not just italy that rock uh, at the time that that came out on the eve of the world cup i mean that was that was i mean domestically it was the end of italian football up until maybe the last couple of years when it's sort of it's starting to get back on its feet but that's how long the effects Of that scandal has lasted, I think, because domestically it really knocked all teams. I know, I know, Juventus. I mean, sorry, I know AC Milan went on to win the Champions League in 2007, and I know Inter Milan went on to win the Champions League in 2010. But financially, and given the dominance that the Italian clubs had in the 90s, that that was just, I mean, it it destroyed the Italians for a bit. So. With that in mind, and how big that scandal was, to f- for the you've got to remember the players as well that were, would have been involved in it, who, who played for Juventus at the time, and played for AC Milan at the time, and you and Lazio at the time. There were there were some of those players in the in the actual tournaments, actually playing for for Italy at the time as well. And another thing that didn't get t- touched on in the article it was really because because it was such a traumatic event, really. It was hard to sort of touch on it lightly. It was Pissotto. Pissotto, uh, Gianluca Pesotto, uh, who was the Juventus. I don't know if he's the technical director or chief executive. I suppose they all do the same role. But he's actually tried to commit suicide in the middle of the tournament. And obviously Del Piero and the Juventus players were all very close to him. Marcelo Lippi let them all leave the camp to go and visit them. And Marcelo Lippi literally actually managed them at Juventus. So to, to really touch on, or put in, in one word, how he managed that group of players, it's brilliantly because you, it, you, I can't imagine if that happened to England or that happened to Spain or Holland or France or anyone like that, he would have been the perfect man to have in charge of your national team if that was to happen and obviously you don't want it to happen, but he was he was just a man who oozed calmness. And that's what I discovered in the research how many people say the same tend to say the same thing about him. So his management of the team was still just very Marcello Lippy like, but obviously unable to in terms of motivation, he used that he used the scandal in his favour. He, he created was against the real type. Because again, the, the Italian media not only was the Italian media against Italy at that point. The world, the, the whole world, would have had eyes on them even more so than what they would in a normal tournament because it's Italy, and, and obviously the match fixing scandal that happened at the beginning of the nineteen eighties and nineteen eighty two, something similar. Uh, so I wouldn't, I don't want to say they're known for it, but again, it is something that is labelled with them, and again. You've touched on it yourself. Uh, his links to Juventus would have been would have hit him personally because the fact of his love for Juventus, but it would have also hit him the fact that maybe his credibility was, even though he were not in charge of Juventus at the time, it was Fabio Capello. His credibility as Juventus manager and what he achieved in his face in his in his in his spells as Juventus manager his credibility would have been knocked. And there was calls around Italy for him to resign. So, it's hard to sum up in one way how he managed it, but everything that I just... And actually for them to... to then go on throughout the tournament with those setbacks, you had this... is non... It's. I don't want to say genius, like, but I don't think any other manager in the world at that time could have done it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and and especially, I mean, after after the World Cup, you know, you, I mean, just before the World Cup final, you had Andrea Pirlo say that he was absolutely relaxed before the World Cup. He was chilling. That that's what yeah. he he actually meant, and that's the kind of mentality you want your players to have before any big game you had like Real Madrid say the same thing you know Gareth Bale say the same thing about Real Madrid before the 2018 Champions League final against uh, you know in, in Kiev so that that that, yeah. that is the kind
0: who, of mentality. sorry who, who did they beat who did they
1: beat that day in Kiev <laughs> I, I I wouldn't prefer saying who, who
0: it was Liverpool wasn't it yeah that was that right, it right <laughs> Yeah,
1: yep. yeah, and that 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 was probably you know, a, 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 a sad day for me because you know, I, I was hoping a lot from more Mazzala but 30 minutes into the game, uh, it was he probably sad. He
0: bottled it, didn't he? He <laughs> banged an injury and went off. Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to sniff here. I'm not going to uh, get a sniff, I don't want to be part of this.
1: I mean finally as an I mean an Everton fan Everton fan would love you know would have would have loved to you know, see see that see that moment when Camus yeah. you know
0: well, dropped. Yeah I've got I've got a number one carrier share from Go for my bedroom actually. <laughs> <laughs> Kiev, Kiev eighteen carrier <laughs> that, that that's pretty cool. That's that's very, very cool. <laughs> yeah. that, I'm only joking. You mentioned yeah. the player there before. Sorry, uh, Riffwick, uh, yeah. Cameron easy. Again, yeah. is, again, we talk, we touch on the tactical aspect of his role in the article, but he was actually part of the Ventus team as well in Lippi's, his second spell. Uh, and we didn't mention his name really alongside, it, but he, he could be sort of, as in with the first squads or the first team, when he had the glamorous, uh, the likes of Davids, uh, Deschamps, Zidane, Zidane. Um, Del Piero Inzaghi those, those types of players and then he had, he had the likes of the less profile players but Conte Olivio Takanadi Cameron Hazy could be would be considered as one of those players in the, in that second squad he was very much used as Lippi played the 4-3-1-2 and that's more predominantly in that second spell as Juventus manager and he was sort of played on the right hand side of the three and he, he was basically just a shuttler if you, if you want to give it a term, he was up and down, his, uh, his ability off the ball, his energy on it. I mean, don't get me wrong, he wasn't too shabby technically either, Marto Cameronese. he was a very good footballer, but he, he was considered as one of those players who was very tactically uh, tactically aware as a player, and he could, play, he could play out wide, but he could also do the job of a centre midfielder as well, which then obviously leads on to his role uh, in in Lippi's tactical setup for the World Cup
1: yep exactly Cameron is a player like probably one of those players who, who, who isn't appreciated enough so just wanted to bring bring, bring him up as well earlier so that's yeah. why I spoke about him and well, before ending the podcast I mean there's this Patreon question for you Chris since you covered uh, I mean the Lippi the you know or you did a lot of research on Lippi this is from our patron yeah. Dieter Van Gogh who is probably asking you, in your opinion, what do you think is... I mean, he has three questions. One thing that the first one he asked is, what do you think is Lippi's greatest achievement in football, his biggest achievement? The second one, so the second question that he, he is asked is, who's the best player that played under him? And the third one being, is his philosophy being used by other coaches? in modern football.
0: Okay. Uh, well, the first question, the first question, what's his biggest achievement? I think in spite of the av- adversity, it would have to be the World Cup, winning the World Cup with Italy, uh, given the circumstances that surrounded the team at the time and given uh, given how he managed the team, he used, all, he used all 21 outfield players within the tournament. He switched his tactics uh, within the tournament to bring out the best of certain players. Uh, the likes of Pirlo, etc. And the way they've done it and the way he managed the team off the field, I would definitely say his biggest achievements in uh, the 2006 World Cup. The second question... What was the second question again, sorry?
1: The best the best player to have you know, played under him.
0: I would say... It's got to be Zidane, hasn't it? Get, um, yep. Yeah, yep. For, for me, it would be Zidane. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's there a lot of good players that have... Ma- uh, played on, under them domestically: Del Piero, Paolo Sosa, Cristian Vieri, Alan Bocic. Uh, I mean, uh, Jugovic. I mean, Roberto Baggio. Even though they didn't see see eye to eye. I mean, there is, there is an endless list. I mean, you could Francesco Totti as well, and Pirlo at yeah. an international level. Uh, but that's what I'm going to go with Zidane, just because just because the domestic that. just because because he managed him on a domestic level Champions League etc run run closely by Perlow at an international level because he was fantastic in that tournament Uh, and the third question who is most like him in modern day football or who sorry not necessarily most like him but who sort of follows his philosophy. Max Allegri. Max Allegri is the man at the moment, and I know he's not in charge of anyone at the moment, but his approach, to whilst he was Juventus' manager, especially, definitely definitely very similar to Marcello Lippe. is. very adaptable, doesn't necessarily have a philosophy as such, because his philosophy is winning, and he will do, he will adapt and switch and manage players uh, accordingly in order to get three points, or to get, the t- to get the title, or to get to a final. For me, it's Max Allegri, it who's most like him. In, in Monday football terms, tactically.
1: And that that's probably it with this particular episode.
0: Three, three this, great questions, by the way. Three great he, three great questions.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's that's probably for you, Dieter, who's, who's probably one of our you know uh, best best fans because he's he's definitely a patron <laughs> and Yeah. Yeah. So that's it with this episode. It was a very fun episode, especially because. You, you actually touched on a few points Which I hadn't known before now, I, Although I read the article yeah. You mentioned a few points Which is probably out of the article as well So that's, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. It's, yeah. it's been good to learn a lot more About Marcelo Lippi And so that's it with this podcast And this is probably going to continue Where we probably you know do podcast Episodes about certain players Certain legends Certain historical events And sometimes the articles which are probably on our website so if you haven't read our the articles on our website i probably request you to go and just have a check because you're going to definitely love the content that's out there that's been out there recently and stories that's being told there so that's it with the podcast guys and chris it's been fun like always see you this weekend for another podcast which is going to be cracking as well so bye bye
0: yeah absolutely mate speak soon